Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that my latest book, Dwell on These Things, is now available in stores and online. The book is a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And if you're up for that kind of challenge, I think you'll find the book helpful. I think now is a great time for us to replace feelings of discouragement with a sense of God's goodness, to practice seeing ourselves in the loving way God sees us, to exchange negative self-talk for gospel-saturated truth, and to learn to face each day with hope in our hearts. There's a link to the book in this episode's description, and if you want to take a sneak peek at the first three chapters, just head over to DesireJesus.com and take a look. You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to our midweek Bible study. We're grateful to have you with us this evening. We have guests on the call tonight from a variety of states, and uh, we're pretty much uh, the the whole continental United States has been represented tonight. We're, we're tilting a little bit more East Coast still, but we've got we've got uh, Western states, we've got Hawaii represented. So we're we're grateful for the great representation that is on the call this evening. And you'll get to hear in our discussion time in just a, a little bit after we uh, do our study here, you'll get to hear some of these guests that we have on the call in uh, just a little bit. But tonight we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5, and the section we're looking at is not a very long section. It's just uh, verses 1 through 5. And in 1 John chapter 5, during the first five verses, you have the Apostle John talking about the, the concept of overcoming the world. So what do you suppose he means by that? Overcoming the world. So I want you to be thinking about that. And uh, we're going to take a look at this together here. And I'm just going to read it a section at a time in just a moment. But again, as we do each time, I just want to give you a little bit of background on the book of First John, in case this is your first time joining us for one of these Bible studies. We've been working our way through the, fir- the book of First John. And the book of First John was written by the Apostle John around the year 90. And it was written from the city of Ephesus before John was exiled to the island of Patmos. In this book, you have John trying to accomplish multiple things with this letter, including helping to bolster the faith of the believers. He's also trying to correct false teaching that was being spread. Again, that was a major issue during the, the era of time that the Apostle John was, was uh, ministering and serving others. It was a very big issue during the era of the early church. But throughout the course of this letter, you have the Apostle John stressing concepts like having fellowship with God, uh, the need for believers to confess our sin, the concept of loving God and loving one another. And we're going to see that come up in tonight's scripture as well. That's a theme that John emphasizes frequently throughout the course of his writings. But he also talks about the idea of knowing God personally, and he makes a point to acknowledge Christ's divinity in a variety of ways. And I would argue that in one particular section of the scripture that we're looking at tonight, that John does that as well, even though you wouldn't say it's an explicit declaration necessarily, but there's no way to make sense of what we're about to look at if Christ isn't divine in nature. And so I think you'll see that in just a few moments as we look through the scripture tonight. 
Now, in tonight's passage, you're going to see the Apostle John teaching us about the importance of living in submission and obedience to the Lord, as opposed to giving into the whims of this world, because many people spend their lives basically just doing whatever this world encourages them to do and, and going in the direction that, that's very unhealthy and unwise. And so the Lord's rescued and redeemed us out of living that way. And as we look at the portion of Scripture we're looking at tonight, we're going to be, going to be talking about the idea of living in submission to the Lord, and living in obedience to the Lord, and the importance of that very thing. But through Jesus, we have overcome the world and its wickedness, and so we no longer need to invite unhealthy, unwise, unbiblical things into our lives. So we're going to take a look at what John has to say about that, but that's just a summary, a little bit of an overview, or maybe I could even say a preview of what we're about to look at. Now, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to see John emphasize here the fact that there's only one way to experience the new birth. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me read verse 1 of 1 John chapter 5, because here he says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So let's pause there for just a second and think about these statements that the Apostle John is making in this portion of Scripture, because the Holy Spirit is inspiring John to write these things down, and he's giving us some deep theological truth. And one of the things that he's trying to help us understand is that there's only one way to experience the new birth. So again, look at what he says here. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So let's think about that opening statement. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So one of the things that stands out to me right away when I look at that opening statement, as John is explaining this, is the fact that he's emphasizing belief. Now, throughout the course of this book, he emphasizes things like uh, love. He emphasizes the concept of obedience. These are things that even come up in the, the section we're looking at tonight. But here you see John talking about the concept of belief. And he says, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we have been born of God. So what does that exactly mean? Well, to believe that Jesus is the Christ is to believe a variety of things. It's to believe that he's the one who has been sent to this earth to rescue and redeem us from our sin. He's the long-promised Messiah. He's the anointed one that the Old Testament spoke of. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the redeemer. He's the one who sets things straight. He's the one who atoned for our sin. So there's a whole bunch of things wrapped up in this concept that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And if we understand who Jesus is by virtue of the fact that he is the Christ, the Scripture here tells us that we have been born of God, so we've experienced a new birth. We, we experience that new birth as we trust in Jesus Christ. And I think it's important to emphasize that because there are a lot of people in this world that think that salvation can be obtained in some other way. Uh, I, I was speaking to somebody just recently who made a comment to me uh, about something kind he was doing for somebody else. And his comment about the kindness was, and it certainly was a kind deed, but his comment about the kindness was that he was sort of expecting that this would secure some level of favor from God for him, almost as if this would be what would result in the Lord granting him salvation. 
But that's not what Scripture reveals. Scripture tells us that belief and new birth go hand in hand. There's only one way to experience new birth, and it's through Jesus Christ specifically believing in him, trusting in him with every ounce of our being. Uh, As John uses the word belief here, he's not just talking about intellectual assent. He's not just talking about knowing something as far as data is concerned. He's talking about having a wholehearted trust, and that trust needs to be in Jesus, who is the Christ. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, we have been born of God. It's a new birth. We are a new creation in Christ. We experience new hope. We experience life everlasting and abundant life. And then John shares something additional uh, in the in the second half of this verse that is an application of this, or you could even say derives from this, and he says, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So think about that statement for just a second. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Well, elsewhere in Scripture, it's abundantly clear that you can't truly love the Father and hate the Son. If you, if you don't love Jesus Christ, who is one with the Father— you don't truly love the Father. And so John here is using this phrase in conjunction with this idea of a person believing in Christ. And so he's he's saying, okay, if you believe in Christ, obviously that means you you love Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then that also would mean if you love the Son, you love the Father as well. And so he says, and everyone who loves the Father also loves whoever has been born of him. So that's an interesting application for the church. I uh, recently just last week, uh, experienced two close friends of mine experiencing conflict. And it wasn't pleasant, and it still isn't pleasant to see them go through that. I know that that's a very challenging thing for them. And I think that over the course of my life, I can I can look at different circumstances and uh, different people that have come my way that sometimes I find it very easy to get along with. And then other people in my life I look at and I, I think, you know what, it, it, it seems like when I interact with that person that it takes a lot of work not to not to drift toward conflict. And so I think about things like that from time to time when I read a portion of scripture like this, because it says everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So there are people in my life that I don't necessarily find them all easy to get along with. I don't necessarily find their personalities winsome. But yet at the same time, the Scripture here tells us that that as an extension or as a reflection of my love for the Father and my love and belief in the Son, I should also love whoever has been born of him. So everyone who has been born of God is part of the same family. We experience the same spiritual birth as we trust in Jesus Christ. That makes us all part of the same family. And this is evidence of the fact that we're all part of the same family. And so how can we, how can we say that we love the one who has created the family and then hate the family that he has created that is united to him? It doesn't make sense. So he's saying here you need to love the Father and the Son and ultimately those whoever the whoever has been born of him and uh, and again this isn't just talking about affection this isn't just talking about this idea of warm feelings that you have for people that you intrinsically get along with this is talking about the idea of actively seeking what is best for somebody else even at great personal cost to yourself so if i love the father 
I need to love whoever has been born of him. That is evidence of the fact that I genuinely love the Father. If I can't love the church, if I can't love his family, if I can't love those who are united to Christ as the bride of Christ, I don't know that I can accurately say that I understand the nature of what it actually means to love the Father or to love the Son if I can't love the family of God as well. And so John emphasizes that here. Well, jump with me to verses 2 and 3 of 1 John chapter 5, because he continues this thought by showing another application of this. And one of the things that he shows us here is that keeping God's commandments is an act of faith and love. And the way he phrases it in verses 2 and 3 is this. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Really love this portion of scripture. I really enjoy it. I find it very helpful to read. But here again, he's extending this thought. So he's talking about, you know, in the previous verse, let me bring it back up here. It says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So that was in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God. So he's saying, here is a test. Here's a visible symbol. Here's a, a, a visible evidence of the fact that you love the children of God. And so he's saying, all right, love God's children. If you love God, love his children. But here's the evidence. He says, when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing, because I think at certain times in my life, I have tried to go my own way, and I've tried to do my own thing, and I know that all of us have. But one of the things that that I've learned over time is that the Lord is worthy of my love, and the Lord deserves my love, and He deserves your love. And it's very hard for me out of one side of my mouth to say I love God, but then live in direct rebellion against him. Uh, My wife and I have been married for a little over 23 years. And I think one of the ways that I'm able to communicate love to her is by listening to what she says, or if she has a recommendation, taking that recommendation, or if she requests that I do something, doing that for her as best as I can. And, uh, and and making it very clear that I'm listening when she speaks and making it very clear that I value what she says. I don't think my wife would feel very valued if I constantly ignored what she had to say. I also remember a, a particular time when I was in college and I, was, I happened to be talking to a friend of mine about something that was grieving my heart. Uh, one of my aunts had actually passed away. I remember talking to a friend of mine about this. And in the midst of the conversation, he made it very clear that he wasn't listening. And the way he made it very clear was he fell asleep on me during the conversation. I was talking to him. I must have just bored him to tears in the midst of my grief because next thing I knew, I looked over at him and I was like, he's asleep. He's not listening to anything I say. And sometimes I think about that in relation to our walk with God and our relationship with God. I think sometimes it's just way too easy for us to ignore his commandments, to ignore what he's saying. But I think as we grow in our walk with him, as we grow in our relationship with him, we become more sensitive to listening to his voice. And so when we come across something in Scripture that the Lord has communicated, or when through the the Holy Spirit we have God communicating to our spirit, saying, go in this direction, or say this thing, or do this thing, if we say yes to God, and if we make a habit of doing so, 
we're actually demonstrating the fact that we have genuine love for God. Because it's hard to say, I love you, Lord, and then out of the same mouth and in the same breath, then ignore what he has commanded. And so John's saying, this is how we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. So he's saying obedience to the commandments of God, love for God, and love for the children of God, it all goes hand in hand. This is all something that relates. It's all connected. It's all evidence of the same thing. And the the evidence that it, or what it's evidencing is the fact that you've been born again. You see people differently, you see God differently, and you see what he commands differently. I think a lot of times people think of the commandments of God as a chore or something that would weigh them down or something that sounds unpleasant. But John even addresses that when you look at verse three, he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. I had the opportunity, along with my wife, for a variety of years to lead a conference center that was also a summer camp. And during the summer, we would have the the privilege to uh, assemble a staff that was mostly teenagers and some of, you know, so some high school and some college students. They were mostly teenagers and they would work hard and they would do a variety of things that just really impressed me. And they would take instruction well and, and it was a really pleasant thing. And frequently their parents would come up and they would see their their kids cleaning cabins and repairing things and emptying trashes and cleaning bathrooms. And they would often joke that that it was amazing to them to see these things because they were having a hard time getting these children to do these things at home. And so sometimes these children would would act toward their parents like the commands that their parents were giving them were burdensome. And I think sometimes that's the attitude we've conveyed to God, where we think, oh, Lord, your your commands are burdensome. But then as our faith matures, we start to realize, oh, no, I see what the Lord's doing. He's trying to prevent me from further harm. He's trying to prevent me from going in a direction that has long-term negative consequences. He's trying to prevent me. He's not trying to prevent me from having an enjoyable life. He's trying to, to assure me that I can have abundant life in him and that the things of this world that tempt me to go in the opposite direction than he's going are the type of things that I don't need in my life. And they're the type of things that aren't healthy and they're not good. And so John here says his commands or his commandments are not burdensome. The Lord isn't trying to burden you and me with a load that he's made us incapable of carrying. Jesus Christ came to this earth and fulfilled the law for us. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And now, ultimately, I mean, his primary commandment to us is what? That we trust in him. And out of that trust, we recognize that that as we trust in him and are born anew, that he gives us his strength and he's, he gives us his ability and he creates within us a desire to listen to his voice. And so we don't treat the voice of God like like his voice is a burden or like his instruction is a burden. We We treat his voice as if it's a blessing because that's exactly what it is. He's preventing us from going in a direction that would be unhealthy and unholy and unwise, and he's trying to keep us from becoming burdened with a whole variety of things that will weigh our consciences down and ultimately create a lot of difficulty in our day-to-day lives. And you can just look at how how life tends to work for those who, who make a habit of listening to the voice of God and those who ignore the voice of God. When you look at the long-term effects of this, 
If you look at somebody's life who has spent decades and decades and decades ignoring God's voice, you end up seeing a life that is burdened because that's typically a life that goes in a direction that is not so healthy and not so good. And so many things over the course of decades get welcomed into that life that just become burden on top of burden and on, and on top of burden. But here, John's saying that if you listen to the commands of God, if you listen to his voice, it demonstrates that you genuinely love him and you realize that he's not trying to burden you. His commandments are not burdensome. He's actually trying to liberate you from living with, worldly, uh, with a worldly mindset or worldly motivations. Now, John goes on in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 5 to also, I think, invite us to ask the question, what is the value of overcoming the world? Let me read 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. He says it this way. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So again, you see this emphasis from John about faith in this chapter. He keeps emphasizing belief, faith, genuine trust in the Lord. But again, he says, "Everyone for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So let's talk about the, the concept of world here as this term is being used. He's not just talking about a planet. He's not just talking about, uh, about earth. What he's actually talking about is a, is a system of disbelief that lives in opposition to the voice of God, a system of disbelief that rejects Christ as the Messiah. And so here he says, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. So that system of disbelief, that system of ungodliness that has really just enveloped the minds of of so many people on this planet, John here is saying, if you've been born of God, that, that new birth that you've been blessed with, uh, you you now have the power, the power of Christ to overcome the world, not be overcome by the world, but to overcome the world. And he explains, he says, this is the victory. He says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And what he's saying is, he, he's speaking of our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith in the Son of God, our faith in the Messiah, Jesus. And he's saying, ultimately, the victory that Christ has secured for us is a victory that we have the privilege to walk in day in and day out. And I want to apply this uh, in, in one particular way, and maybe this will be part of our conversation in a few minutes, or maybe it won't be. But I want to say this because I have no idea who is listening to this podcast. And um, I mean, I know some people because they make themselves known, but I also know that there are people that listen to this podcast that uh, that I have no uh, day-to-day connection with, or maybe they've never made themselves known to me through a message or or anything like that. Uh, but one thing I hear frequently in this day and age is um, just the, the real struggle that, that many people have with a variety of temptations in particular. And there's some big categories that I think really encompass, you know, you know what I'm talking about in regard to temptation. I hear temptation to, to overdrink, temptation to substance abuse, pornography temptations, temptations uh, to dishonesty and lack of integrity, all sorts of things that I would say are temptations. And many people go through their life thinking that they can never experience victory over these temptations. And if you're listening to this podcast, or if, if one of us here on the call live tonight is wrestling with this, I really want us to, to latch on to what is stated here, because it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So through Jesus Christ, we experience victory. We don't need to walk in defeat. We don't need to be people 
who are constantly thinking that this world is going to have the victory over us. Because when you look at what Scripture tells us here, we're told that we can overcome the world through Jesus. Our faith in Jesus Christ is sufficient to uh, ultimately result in us having the power that we need to overcome the world. And Jesus demonstrated that. He demonstrated his victory over sin, Satan, and death when he rose from the grave. And the amazing thing is that as we trust in him, as we as we have genuine faith in him, that victory that he secured in his resurrection is a victory that he shares with us. So again, if you're listening to this podcast, I want you to understand that Jesus has secured victory on your behalf when he rose from the grave. Sin, Satan, and death were defeated when Jesus rose from the grave. And as you trust in him, as you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, his victory gets shared with you. His victory becomes your victory, and you don't need to be overcome by the world. You can overcome the world. You can overcome the disbelief. You can overcome the sin that is entrenched in this world. You don't need to be overcome by it any longer. There's one other thing I want to point out that that John uh, seems to emphasize here when you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. And that's this, behavior follows belief. So again, he says here, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And what he's saying here is if, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that, that Jesus the Son and God the Father are united, that they are one, that they are family, eternally united, you believe that. You truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You truly believe that he has done what he said he did. You will overcome the world. And here's the thing, behavior follows belief. So it matters what I believe, and it matters what you believe. If you truly believe that Jesus Christ has secured victory on your behalf, then I think you're more likely to walk in victory than someone who doesn't believe that. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you will believe that he has the power that you need to overcome the world. And so here John is saying, he's illustrating the fact that behavior follows belief by showing us, he's like, who who is it that actually overcomes the world? Now I'm adding that word actually here just for emphasis, but he's saying, "Who, who is it that actually does this? Who is it that overcomes the world? The person that does this is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who trusts in Jesus, the one who knows who Jesus really is and receives the gift of salvation and receives the new birth that comes to all who trust in Jesus. And so, again, it's very clear that when you look at Scripture that it's God's desire that we not be overcome by the world, but that we overcome the world. And we're not going to overcome the world by believing in ourselves. We're not going to overcome the world by trusting in our own strength or in our own wisdom. The only way we're going to overcome the world, this system of disbelief that is prevalent here, the only way we're going to overcome that is through trusting in Jesus Christ, who grants us his power. So often in this world, I hear people encouraging one another to just, you just got to believe in yourself. You just got to believe in yourself. And I always think to myself, I think, okay, well, I do believe the Lord wants me to go through life with a certain degree of confidence, but I don't think that it's confidence so much in my own behavior or confidence in my own ability. It's, it's confidence in what he can do through me because of his great power. And so I don't think I'm supposed to go through this life believing in myself. I think I'm supposed to believe in the one who created me and then trusting that he can do through me everything that he has said he desires to do through me. And so 
I don't want to encourage you to believe in yourself because I don't think that that's actually biblical. What I do want to encourage you to do is to believe, just like John says in 1 John 5, 5, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that he is the one who secured eternal victory on your behalf. Believe that he's the one who can supply the strength that you need. Believe that he's the one that can ultimately accomplish in your life great and mighty things that are far beyond anything you would have thought up on your own. It's amazing what the Lord does in the life that's submitted over to him. He's not trying to burden us. He's not trying to beat us down. He's not trying to discourage us or make our lives miserable. He's trying to set us free from the type of things that are tying people up in chains and keeping people bound to unhealthy things. He doesn't want that for his children. He wants us to experience freedom because he paid too steep a price for that freedom for us to treat it like it's something that we just take for granted. So in just a moment, I'm going to bring all of us up on screen. I just want to make a couple announcements here real quick. First of all, July 20th. So today is uh, July 6th. And uh, so two weeks from today, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 6. We're going to be talking about what, what John refers to as a testimony about Jesus. So that's coming up on July 20th. So if you're listening to the podcast and want to join us for the Bible study, that's when it will be recorded next, the evening of July 20th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So adjust that for your time zone. I know we have a bunch of different time zones on the call tonight, so I'm grateful that people are, are uh, taking taking that into account and doing the math. But we're in the Eastern Time Zone, so 8 p.m. July 20th, we'll be talking about 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 6. And, um, and just to adjust that for your time zone, but we'd love to invite you to join us live if you're able to. Also, if you haven't yet picked up a copy, I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of my latest book. It's called Dwell on These Things. It's a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. And I, I really appreciate the kind feedback that I've been receiving on that. This is the most widely distributed book I've ever written. Uh, it's being published by Penguin Random House. And so people uh, are sending me pictures of it uh, in variety of places throughout the country. And it's very encouraging to see that. And uh, if you haven't yet picked up a copy, I'd encourage you to to take a look at it. And uh, if you want to read a few free chapters from it, the first three chapters, in fact, you can just read for free right on my website, desirejesus.com. And if you haven't yet checked it out, I hope you'll check it out. And I hope you find it very encouraging. It was certainly meant to be encouraging as I wrote it down. All right, so it's time for discussion. Let me stop the uh, screen share here and bring our guests up on the screen. And uh, it's always entertaining when I start our teaching here to see who we're going to have once I finish our teaching. So there's uh, at least one or two more here on the screen from uh, before I did the screen share. So it's great to see everybody. And I'm just going to start us off with a question here. So someone be prepared, whether it's Don Kaler, who usually breaks the ice for us, or if someone wants to try and slide in there before Don, see if you can answer this before Don. But Don's ready. Look at his face. Can't you tell? He's just ready to he's ready to spring into action. All right, he's even giving me a thumbs up here. All right, but here, here we go. This is my first question for us tonight. I'll be interested to, to hear some of your thoughts on this. But how do love, obedience, and faith work together? In your opinion, how do love... Because John, you notice that John was talking about all three of those, right? And he, he made it very clear in this portion of Scripture that they work together. So how do love, obedience, and faith work together? Listen to that silence. So icy in this room right now. 
<laughs> Who's going to break the ice? I'll break the ice. All right, <laughs> Hannah. Hannah from Hawaii, breaking the ice for us. All right, Hannah, what do you think? How do, how do love, obedience, and faith work together as you see it? Um, well, I just think, well, I think of financially, that's, that's where my mind goes to. And okay. um, I think if we love God and we trust him, we will be obedient to what he's calling us to do. And um, because we know that God will, he's a good and, and faithful father and he will take care of us the way that he, he has good things for us. And so he will provide what we need. And I think that's a very, that's an example of, being obedient with what you have because you know that God is good. So you see this in an application to just household finances. You're saying, all right, yeah. you know, I, I can, I can see, I, you know, as, as we uh, recognize that we, we love the Lord, we seek to be obedient to him. We trust him completely. And um, a, a big part of that in just practical terms, you say is just trusting him to meet our needs, you know, our, mm-hmm. our material needs, our financial needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure plenty of us even have uh, uh, testimonies. I know my wife and I certainly do have uh, just testimonies of times that were extremely lean. And I got to tell you, you know, when you when you've got um, when you when you feel responsible for not only your own life but also you know the lives of other people and all sorts of things, you you really think, all right, where's this going to come from? And yeah, you're right. I mean, I've, I've seen the Lord deliver in a variety of ways, and um, He does meet our needs, and I'm grateful for that. How, how about um? Anyone else? What do you think? You want to add anything to that? How do love, obedience, and faith work together? What have you seen? Okay, I'll bite. All right, let's hear it, Kurt. All right, on this one, I've just had a feeling recently about alcohol. I've never had a problem with alcohol. I haven't been a heavy drinker or anything like that. But in honoring God, I was noticing I was having more of a temptation with that. So I've decided just to quit drinking altogether. As an expression of faith and love in the Lord, you're saying, all right, if the Lord's impressing upon my heart to give up alcohol, it's time to just do it. Right. Exactly. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's a great application of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and here's another thing, Kurt, I'll I'll stick with that example for a second here, because culturally speaking, I don't think this culture would necessarily value your decision. No. (laughs) Uh, To people I've expressed this uh, desire to change, they, they know me and they can't understand why I would do it because they're not of the same mindset that God wants us to avoid temptation. And I want to honor that commandment. Yeah. The void. Yeah, that's, I, I love it. And I, I, anytime the Lord asks it, and, and by the way, naturally speaking, some of the things the Lord may ask us to do is just an act of obedience may not be very easy for us to do, naturally speaking, right? And there may not be a whole lot of cultural support for some of these decisions. But at the same time, I think, you know, um, Listening to his voice obviously demonstrates that we love him, but also we can have faith that he will give us the strength to do anything he asks us to do. If he asks you to do something, he's going to give you the strength to do that. I love it. All right. Any other thoughts or comments on that before I jump to our next thing? Yeah, Hannah. Well, I think it's interesting that you that you chose this passage because this is kind of 
I don't know, all summer I've just been stalled out on First John. And so I've just been reading through it again and again. And it's just been a really good read. And that's the, the verses that you chose to highlight are actually some of the verses that I was thinking about too, because um, uh, I'm in academia and there's a real um, disdain for Christianity in, in um, the academic world. Mm -hmm. And it does make you question, is Jesus, is this Christian thing real? Is there anything to it? Or is it just another system of thought, just like every other, you know, there's like, many, many ideologies out there. Right. And, and I think what God is, I think, I think it was really precious to me when um, in first uh, John five, four, I believe it's, it's talking about how the, one of the ways you show you obey is by believing in, in him and that he does, he is true. And he is, and, and this whole system of thought goes completely against the world's ideas of, what is valuable, which what is valuable is power, pleasure. Those are the two things. Those are the only things to live for. And um, according to the world, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> is the complete opposite of all of that. And so we are the most to be pitied if that is, if, if we are just another ideology, if it's Christianity is just another ideology, then there is it, use toilet paper. Absolutely no reason to, to do it. But if, if there is truth in that, then, wow, it's so powerful because it, and, and I think that's what, when God comes through, it shows just that he is true and right and good because he shows up and, and it's not just an ideology. It's a, he is truth. And that's cool. I I love it. So this is the theme for your summer. So you've been spending your summer kind of meditating on uh, the book of first John and what it, what it says. Yeah. And, and reading through all of these, you know, the, um, Leo Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and <laughs> and <laughs> all the agonies that they've got that that their characters go through and discuss and just turning over whether these are true is is Christianity true is it real right. is is it worth you know uh, basing your foundation on right excellent very good very good all right new question for us you ready. All right, why does John teach that God's commandments are not burdensome? Why do you suppose he specifically decides to say that, that God's commandments are not burdensome? Why do you suppose John says that? What does he want us to know? Ian, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, Jesus uh, said that... um... By following his commandments, you can experience uh, uh, joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so uh, to love God and, and Jesus is to uh, take what they say seriously and uh, to follow the commandments. And from there, you can have much greater joy than, than chasing power or pleasure. Yeah. So so when we're when we're talking about joy in the spiritual sense, we're talking about it as basically just uh, ultimate delight in the Lord, right? Where, where we're, it's not dependent on circumstances. It's just, it's the fruit of faith, right? And so, you know, as I hear you describing that, you're saying your, your life is more joyful. Your life is lighter. Uh, if, if, if ultimately Christ is Lord, if ultimately, you know, you're looking at the things that he says and you're saying, okay, I'm not going to spend my life questioning this. I'm not going to spend my life, uh, rebelling against this. I'm not going to spend my life ignoring this. 
I'm actually going to say, all right, this is something I'm going to directly apply. And, uh, and here you have John saying, look, it's not burdensome. Um, is, is that kind of like a good summary of, of uh, what you're thinking? Yeah. And there's, um, there's joy in submission of your will to God. Yeah. Um, that uh, you are no longer trying to follow your own path and um, follow the world, world system. Uh, right. Submit yourself to, to the Lord and you can find far greater peace. Exactly. And it's kind of like, um, do we remember when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Did this remind anyone of that, that particular comment of Christ? You know, when John says that, that the commandments of God are not burdensome. You know, that's, that's where my mind goes when I, when I see that, where it's, you know, Jesus saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And uh, so often I think, I mean, don't you, don't you think that most people who do not know the Lord pretty much just think of him as, as um, angry and barking out orders all the time and then just waiting to condemn you for goofing it up? (laughs) Yeah, Kurt, Kurt thinks so. And I think I saw Don's head move up and down on that one too. Um, I think that's what some people think. I mean, some people think that the essence of our faith too is just, uh, you know, trying to appease God in his anger. And then you look at what what we looked at last week, where it talked about the fact that Christ is the propitiation for our sin. He's satisfied. The, the Father's wrath is satisfied in Christ. Christ is satisfied the Father's wrath. You're not, if you trust in Christ, you're not under the wrath of the Father. So, you know, it's it's like we've been set free to obey these things. Whereas before we were slaves to our passions. And now we're set free to actually walk in new life, to walk in joy, to experience these things. How do you think, um, so John seems to be talking about the fact that keeping the commands of God actually are a demonstration of love for God and also for others when you look at what he says there. So what do you, what do you think about that statement? You know, like, like explain that or clarify that. How, how, is, how is keeping the commandments of God a demonstration of love for God and love for other people. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's um, God is omniscient and all powerful and uh, he knows what's better for us than, than we do. So uh, following his commandments uh, is uh, best for us and for other people around us. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I'll follow up with that with you, Ian. So you're, you're saying that, that almost like the natural outpouring of the commands of God is going to be benefit for the people that you interact with. If you're following the commands of God, they are going to directly benefit from that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Has anyone ever noticed the breakdown of, let's just take the 10 commandments in particular. Has anyone ever noticed the breakdown of, of actually how they're organized? the first grouping and then the second grouping. And by the way, they were on two tablets, right? First grouping and second grouping. What's, what's the distinction? What's on the first tablet? What's on the second tablet? The first tablet is relationship with God. And the second is with others. You, you got it hundred percent, Mark, you nailed it. (laughs) That's a, that's exactly what it is. the The first tablet has has the first grouping of the Ten Commandments, which are all about our relationship to God. 
And then the second part there, the second commandments, beginning with, with uh, to honor you know, your father and your mother, uh, those commandments all deal with our relationship with one another. And that's what the Ten Commandments consist of. These, you know, the, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And even when Jesus was asked to summarize the Old Testament, what did he say? What's the summary? Does anyone remember? Love God, love people. Yeah, you could you could say it just that short, right? Love God, love people, right? Love one, love love your Creator, and and love the ones He's created. And so, so here you have John applying that to the actual commandments, to just listening to the voice of God, right? He's saying it's going to have direct impact on your relationship with the Lord, the nature of it, because you're demonstrating the fact that you genuinely love him. It's the fruit of your love, but it's also something that demonstrates that you're walking in fellowship with him. But it's also a way that you can demonstrate love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. If, if I'm keeping the commands of, of God, that means I guess I guess I can't steal your stuff, right? <laughs> if I'm keeping the commands of God. I guess that means I can't kill you, you know? It's like, oh man, I'm keeping the commands. I can't kill people when they make me angry. Bummer, right? If I'm keeping the commands of God, that means I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't covet or slander or, you know, all of these things, right? I shouldn't be unfaithful. You know, I'm just thinking through all the I shouldn't be disrespectful. You know, so, so these are all ways that as we keep the commands of God, we actually have opportunity not only to demonstrate that we love him, but it's also a way of demonstrating that we actually love one another at the same time. What do you think, Don? Well, I just think of something that's a little bit different in that uh, one of the things the commandments do is show us that we cannot keep them. In other words, the uh, the fact that as human beings, we're not capable, like when Jesus was teaching about, you know, just looking at a woman uh, with lust that you've committed the sin of adultery kind of thing. So when I was thinking of uh, love and obedience and faith, all of them tied together when I think of the commandments and my inability as a human being, as a man to keep them, that gives me that more of that need for, for Jesus and, uh, and his, and his paying the penalty for my not being able to obey the commandments. And at the same time, his person, which he was able to sinlessly obey them all. So he had complete and perfect obedience and love for the Father, and unshakable, perfect faith. So I think it all like kind of ties together in that uh, it shows me my uh, my inability to do it on my own, which makes me need him more and gives me that gratitude that he is who he is and done what he's done. And he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it and, and pretty much show us that we can't, so we need him. So I was just thinking about that as we going through this trying to be obedient. Sometimes I, I, and I had a person one time ask me, so we're supposed to be like Jesus as Christians. And I said, yeah, he said, and he was perfect. Yeah. And we aren't. Yeah. Well then what's the, he, that person was kind of like, well, what's the, you know, what's the use? We're trying to do something we can never do. And again, I had to reiterate, well, that's why we need Jesus. So just figured I'd bring that up. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, good point. And that, I think that's also why the Apostle John, in this portion of Scripture that we looked at tonight, was saying, if you want to have victory, you know, th- this faith is 
the victory. You know, where's the victory? You got. It's not a matter of trusting in yourself to do these things. It's a matter of trusting in Christ who empowers you to do these things because he kept them for you. So, yeah, excellent point. All right. Here, here's another application question based on this passage. I'll be interested to, to hear some of your thoughts on this. But have you, have you given this world power over your life or your mind at any point? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever kind of called that out? Have you ever given this world? Because, you know, here it's talking about this idea of overcoming the world. And when it's using that term world, it's talking about the system of disbelief that is prevalent in the world, the system of disbelief that is living in opposition to Christ. So have you ever given this world or that system, however you want to phrase it, power over your life and your mind? Now, I'm going to confess first here that that's that I absolutely have uh, at, at different times in my life done that. And one of the things that, that uh, I'm grateful for is that over time, the Lord showed me how <laughs> unhealthy that was. And one of the things I really appreciate is the fact that he steals that desire from you over time. You know, what, what you end up having, it's not, I mean, it's not like I don't wrestle with sin because I certainly do wrestle with sin. But the point being is I can definitely notice over the course of my life that some of the things that used to appeal to me don't appeal to me in the same way. And I, I believe that that's evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming my thinking and helping me to think more with the mind of Christ than at an earlier season of, of my life where I was submitting my mind over to worldliness and worldly values. values. And one of the things I even notice in my life right now that I try and call out and uh, repent of is when worldly values creep back in, you know, where it, it might not even be an obvious thing. Sometimes it's not even terribly obvious to people that know me well. And then I'll notice something. And I'll think, where is this coming from? Because this isn't something that reflects the heart of God. This is something I need to confess to the Lord and repent of because it really comes from worldliness and worldly ambitions. And so I'm confessing that to you because I think that all of us struggle with that. I, th I think I certainly have throughout the course of my life. I think we all do. And that's why John brings it up there. But, you know, can you think of seasons where you've given this world power over your life, power over your mind? What advice would you give to somebody else if they're noticing that struggle within themselves as well? I, let's see. I saw Renee's hand first, so I'll go Renee, and then I'm going to go. Uh, then I also saw Paul's hand, so after Renee, I'm going to go to Paul. Go ahead. I would say just don't listen to it and pray more, because the more you pray, the more you turn to God, and it changes you. Yeah. So you're saying use this as an opportunity to pray. Tap into the power of God. Don't try and overcome worldly thought with your own thinking. Right? You know, our own thinking tends to be faulty. <laughs> Correct, because we can't do it on our own. Yeah, can't do it on our own. Excellent. Very good. And Paul, you had your hand up too. I was, I was going to say that um, it's interesting. Uh, my seasons of life, you know, I, 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 I can remember back to Iran-Contra and before that. And I just think about everything that's happened, even in our United States of America, and uh, how uh, it has actually drawn uh, the church uh, and, and individuals and leaders in the church into uh, a serious breach of faith, I think, because uh, and it, it's it's not particular to any one group or uh, when 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 politics and society uh, are more important uh, 
than your own faith and uh, walk faith walk uh, with the Lord. Uh, you know, one of the things Christ always tried to stress is, you know, you are not citizens of this world. You are not of this world, but the world tries to draw you in. And I know uh, uh, there was a, a season in my life when I'd be drawn into these political things, uh, thinking that I'm uh, uh, standing for on high moral ground. And all I'm doing is I'm allowing society uh, to take uh, to to uh, ruin me. Uh, so uh, and I think it's really important for the church because we see what's happening with the leadership, whether it's uh, the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, uh, whatever whatever ang- uh, 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 left to right, um, uh, we need to be we we really need to be aware that Christ is calling us not to, to set the standard and not to live the standard of the world. I like that. And, and I agree a hundred percent. One of the things that's really troubled me in, uh, in this day and age is just how some, some of those worldly values, it's almost an expectation that gets placed on, on the church that somehow we would just echo worldly values. And uh, I've even noticed in the past year and a half uh, a, a variety of instances where, you know, I've been serving as a as a pastor in a well, variety of capacities, almost 25 years now. And uh, I have felt more pressure to politicize the message that I'm preaching or to adopt some of those mantras and stuff like that than ever. And uh, and I don't and it's not internal pressure because I don't have the desire to do that, but external pressure. And at times, some of that has been explicitly said to me, not too often, thankfully, but there have been a few times over the past year and a half as well. And this past year and a half, I mean, talk about a divisive time culturally. Oh my goodness. This is, I mean, this is a, this is a time where everybody's at odds with each other. And I think to myself, the last thing I want to do when I stand up in a pulpit is just pull out the newspaper and preach the newspaper not interested in preaching the newspaper because the the content in the news changes just like the weather. Uh, What I want is the word of God. I want to know what scripture says. I want to know what Jesus is pointing my heart to, the timeless truth. And so that's why our church tries to be extremely careful to preach the word of God, because it will apply to all circumstances that we find ourselves in. And uh, so I don't feel like I need to get up there and preach the newspaper or, or preach the, you know, whatever your favorite news station is or, or whatever the, the cause of the day happens to be. Although I know that there are some people in this world that would love for all the churches to just kind of adopt whatever the, the popular cause is right now. And they almost expect every sermon the pastor preaches to be to be about whatever cause is kind of trendy or popular. And, and so I'm right there with you, Paul. I'm not, I, I have no desire to, to go down that route. I, when we gather for worship, I want to open up the scriptures and I want to see what the scriptures say. Uh, you know, the newspaper is going to be used for, for uh, getting a fire going in my fireplace, you know, and the scripture is never going to be used for that. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of my thought on that too. I, I, I completely agree. 
Can I can I say one more thing here as we finish up? I, I'm shocked at how quickly our time has gone. We're at, at the top of the hour. This kind of happens every week, too. I, I don't know. We're all living in different places, but I feel like uh, when we gather together on these uh, Bible study calls, it's like, uh, you know, like this one-hour hangout that we have the opportunity to just kind of meditate on the Scriptures together. So I enjoy this time with you guys, and I do appreciate you carving out this time. It's also nice as we do these to just – we've kind of developed some familiar faces on these calls. And so, you know, this side of heaven, we may never – actually see each other face to face but kind of feel like we see each other with with great regularity as uh, we have the opportunity to do these things but one thing i thought i'd just kind of finish our time with here tonight is the fact that as i look at these opening verses of first john chapter 5 you can see a strong emphasis from john where he's trying to point the reader to jesus being the solution and so he's he's talking about the fact that your theology, your belief systems, your understanding of salvation, it's all going to come down to your understanding of who is Jesus. And I love how he points it out there. He's like, you, you have to understand that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And you have John demonstrating that in this portion of Scripture, trying to help us to see that Jesus is who he says he is. And so I thought that would be worth emphasizing as we finish up our time tonight. In the end, that's what we've got to wrestle with. All of us on the call here tonight, those of you listening to the recording via the podcast, that's what we've got to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? And if we come to understand who he truly is, that he is the Son of God, that he's God come in the flesh, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, the only Savior, we come to believe in him as he truly is, we will experience this new birth, that John is speaking about in this passage, and we will experience the joy and the the new life that comes as we experience that new birth. And that's something I take a lot of uh, joy and delight in, and I feel pretty confident that those of us on the call here uh, take delight in that as well. And so those of you accessing this via the recording, I hope that that's something that you'll wrestle with as well. Just like John was talking about in this chapter of Scripture, wrestle with the question, who is Jesus. Get that question answered in your mind, because that's the key to understanding all of these things as we've been wrestling with them tonight. Well, thanks, everybody. It was lovely, as always, to be able to gather together. Thank you guys for for joining us again. Let's see, looking around the call here, we've got Virginia, we've got New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Hawaii, Texas, Pittsburgh. That's its own state, right? The state of Pittsburgh, Don, that's a state, isn't it? <laughs> we've got Ohio with us here. So we've, we've got a good representation tonight. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, have a, a wonderful week and um, look forward to seeing everybody if you're able to make it back on July 20th as we'll continue looking at Chapter 5. Have a great evening, everyone. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.